and been challenged by your word and instructed by it, been being edified by it and strengthened. And so, Father, help us tonight as we come to your word that your Holy Spirit will have free reign in our hearts. Lord, if there are things that we're frustrated with, things we're upset about, cares of this world that we brought in here with us tonight, Lord, may we lay them aside and allow your Holy Spirit to shed his light in our hearts that we can rejoice as we leave here tonight being refreshed by your word. And so help us this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't allow praises here. No, I'm just kidding. You go right ahead. Amen. the Lord for that. All right, Revelation 18 tonight, and uh, we're getting to the end, just a few more chapters. And um, last week we dealt with um, uh, the harlot that was spoken of, and we found that to be Babylon by name in, in prophecy. Uh, in actuality, we know it to be Rome, um, or believe it to be Rome, and uh, the, uh, the religious uh, destruction uh, of the Roman religion, uh, found in chapter number 17. Tonight, and we get verse number 18, uh, we deal with uh, this the city that is known as Babylon in prophecy here. Uh, we deal with the uh, the commercial aspect of the city, its greatness, and uh, the, the nations of the world, the people of the world that were affected by it, that followed after her, and uh, some of the judgment that God brings down, and some of the responses of these people, and it's it's saddening to watch as we go through this, how many times people see the hand of God working and understand it to be God's judgment on their sin, and yet they still blaspheme and defy God. And we, we look at that and we say, how hard-hearted can people get? But the truth is, uh, we're seeing it in our society even today. There are people that, not everybody, and, and it's not the whole nation, but we do see a lot of that going on in the world that we live in today. And sometimes, because it has been a gradual drift to that, we're not as shocked by it as probably we should be. Uh, because it's kind of eased its way into our society, and we've become, uh, I, I, I hate to say accustomed to it, I think blinded to it, uh, apathetic towards it. It just doesn't seem to rile us up any. And, and these are things that uh, when, when they start to come to pass in a uh, society that is supposed to be a Christian society, in a Christian nation, as God's people, we have an obligation to stand up and, and lift the banner high and to show it strong and to be steadfast and to sound the alarm. Uh, we have for far too long in our country remained silent while things around us have digressed and far beyond. Uh, what we even think they should have been uh, at some point in time. 
And so we spent last week dealing primarily with the uh, the religion out of Rome, which we believe to be uh, the Roman Catholic uh, uh, empire of things and how far-reaching it is and how many of the nations followed after it, how corrupt it has been and how they've been responsible for so many uh, martyrs and the blood of innocent uh, folks that were believers of the Lord Jesus Christ and had uh, faith in Him. And uh, tonight, uh, as we get to chapter 18, we're going to look at the city itself. And God also brings judgment on it, not just the the uh, the false prophet and not just the um, uh, the religious organization out of Rome, but we're going to see the city itself. And uh, let's take a look in verse number one. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven. Now, this is not the same angel that came at the beginning of chapter seventeen. This is another angel having great power, and the earth was lighted with His glory. Now, I just want to say a couple things about this, and we'll move on. First of all, this is an angel, the Bible says here, having great power. This one obviously has more authority, more power given to him than perhaps some of the other angels that have been mentioned previously in the book of Revelation. We understand from other portions of Scripture that there are different levels of authority and different levels of angels that have different powers and different abilities and this one is having great power. Um, we don't know specifically, you know, uh, how they're organized. We don't know what, how many levels there are of different hierarchies of angels. But we do know from Scripture that there are different levels of angels. Those that are stronger than others and have more might than others. Um, as we get to the second part of this uh, verse, I want to point out, it says this, that um, it says having great Power and the earth was lighted with his glory. Now, this is the glory of the angel. Uh, and uh, by the way, you won't find um, a, a feminine reference, I don't believe, anywhere in Scripture to an angel. All of them are masculine in the, the nature of their gender uh, as, as what's recorded by Scripture. Um, you, you see these girl angels pictured in artist renderings. I don't know if the Bible ever speaks of a, of a, uh, a, a female or a. a uh, something other than a man as an angel in Scripture. Uh, if there is one, I have not seen it, and if you'll point it out to me, I'll come back and correct that, but I have not found that anywhere in Scripture. Uh, but uh, this one is, uh, the Bible says, was lighted with His glory. Uh, we understand this, that any glory that there is is found in, in God Himself, in the, in the Trinity. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this, this reference to the fact that His glory, this, the glory of the angel, lighted the earth uh, is an indication that He's coming from the presence of God Himself. So the message He has to bring is not a, a message that is to be brought. It is a message of God that is to be brought. He is sending word by His messenger, which is this great angel. It's important for us to understand every time these angels come that they're not speaking of their own accord, but they're speaking the things that God has given them to say. And as we get down in chapter 18, you'll see why that is important to us. In verse number 2, He cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Uh, now, I've heard some preachers uh, teach on this verse, too. The reason why he says it is fallen is fallen. They say it twice. 
is because some of some uh, uh, theologians, some people that study this, believe that it's referring to the fall of Babylon originally, what we refer to as old Babylon, but then also the fact that the new Babylon is yet to come and it will also fall, and that both of them will fall. And as we see, we will see here in just a few moments, they will fall in a very similar manner to each other, uh, both of them by God's judging hand upon them. Um, but it, they are fallen. And the Bible says this, uh, that, that this Babylon is become the habitation of devils. We've talked before about uh, where Satan's seat is in the earth. How that there have been times in history that uh, the Bible uh, refers to the idea that probably Satan had his headquarters or his basis there. Uh, as world empires were raised up, um, we see that there are times that that is mentioned as the seat of Satan. And here we find that Babylon is the, the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit. Hold your place here for a moment, and let's look in Isaiah chapter 13, because Isaiah uh, is, gives some prophetic words regarding this specific uh, portion of Scripture in Revelation, and it would do us well to see what he has to say about it as well. Isaiah chapter number 13. Isaiah chapter number 13, and we'll begin in verse number 19. Isaiah chapter 13 and verse number 19. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe personally that this is speaking of the Babylon to come because it speaks of the fact that their excellency shall be. And understanding this, that the old Babylon was already in existence at this time, and he's making reference to a future state of Babylon. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures." And owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. Satyrs, that's an interesting word. I had to look that one up. I didn't know what that was. And it is a, uh, a spirit, an evil spirit of Greek mythology, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, it had uh, its roots even earlier, but the Greeks kind of grabbed a hold of it and made an idol and a god out of it. And it was a mischievous uh, evil spirit that would go around and just cause problems and troubles and get into everything's everything's so everything so they're dealing here with uh, evil spirits evil devils if you will uh, and so notice in verse twenty one when it talks about these wild beasts of the desert shall lie there uh, and there and, and you know Revelation talks about uh, many of these beasts that are going to come out um, their houses shall be full of doleful creatures. And owls shall dwell there, and satyrs will sit there, or shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the islands shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant places. And her time is near is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. And so, all the way back in the time of Isaiah, he prophesies that there's coming a time when Babylon is going to be laid desolate, and they're not going to be any more, and that it will be during the time that these evil spirits. Uh, are inhabitants of, inhabitants of the city. 
And so I believe in verse number 2 of chapter 18 of Revelation, we find that. That here are these evil spirits that uh, uh, are making their home and their abode, their inhabitants, they're in the city uh, of Babylon, the prophetic Babylon, which we know to be the city of Rome in the Roman Empire. Verse number 3, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, we read something similar to that in chapter 17, that this uh, fornication, this idea of uh, committing adultery or fornication with her, deals with uh, the spiritual nature in, seven, in chapter 17, that they um, uh, followed after the beast and the, and the false prophet, and that they committed spiritual adultery and fornication. In verse number uh, 3 of chapter number 18, well, we find that they've also committed this uh, the wrath, drinking of the wine of her wrath of fornica- her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Now, we're going to look at the context of this one, because now we're not dealing with the religious side of Babylon, but we are dealing with the material side or the commercial side of it as a city. So hold your place there for a moment, because we're going to, we're going to jump down to where it refers to this later in the chapter, and then we're going to come back to verse number 4. So we find in verse number 3 that there are kings that have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So now let's look down, if you will, to verse number 9. We're going to come back to verse 4. I'm, trying, I'm not taking things out of context. I'm trying to put them into the context here. Verse number 9, the Bible says, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication... Now, now this is how they've committed the fornication. And lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen, purple and silk and scarlet and all pine wood and all manner uh, vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men and the fruits that thy soul lusteth after are departed from thee. And we read that list and we realize this city was a city of enticement for worldly things, material things. And so when these kings committed fornication in chapter 18, I believe it's not speaking of the spiritual fornication it's committed, but the fornication of making material goods their idol. They, they, they wrapped themselves in the, uh, the wealth and the power that comes from being associated with Babylon. And then we find that the merchants in verse number uh, 10 and verse number 11, I want you to notice this, that the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her merchandise. <coughs> and then we go down to verse number 15, I want you to see this. The merchants of these things, which, made, which were made rich by her, stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. So, in verse number 11, they're weeping and mourning. In verse number 15, they're weeping and wailing. But I want you to note this. They are not weeping and wailing over her destruction. 
They're not weeping and wailing over the judgment of God on her. They are weeping and wailing because they have lost the wealth that she provided. That's what it tells us here. Notice in verse number number 11 again. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her their merchandise any more. That's why they're sad. Look at verse six, uh, 15. And the merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, stand afar off, and, and uh, for fear of the torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches are come to naught. This is what they're grieving over. Material things. Their own well-being, their own good, their own... Uh, profiteering, if you will, is what they're weeping and wailing over. The Bible teaches a principle, Christ taught a principle in His earthly ministry that is so often misquoted in the day that we live. Most people say that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. But that was not what Christ said, is it? What did He say was the root of all evil? The love of money. Here we find it. Here we find the merchants loving the well-being, the material gain, the money, the mammon, if you will. They love that more than anything. And their grief, not just sad, not just disappointed, not like when we look at the newspaper and we see the stock markets crashing down and the inflation coming up and the price at the gas tank going up. We hurt by that and we're saddened by that and we're frustrated by that. These people are mourning and are weeping and wailing over it. Why? Because that's what they've put all of their hope in. It's what they've trusted It's what they love. That's their idol. It's their God. These material things. The kings mourn and they're saddened because they do not get to associate with the wealth and the affluence and the power that she brings to them. The merchants are sad. They're weeping and wailing. They're mourning. Notice in verse 17 it says, For in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and uh, I don't know, it could be that it is a literal one hour, and if, if there's no other reason to suspect it means anything other than that, then we just need to take it as in one hour it happened. But I will say this, whether it's a, a literal hour or whether it is an expression being used, one thing is to say this for sure, it is sudden and it is decisive. God doesn't make this a long, drawn-out affair. His judgment on the folks that have loved the mammon, the material wealth, that have lauded themselves and puffed themselves up because of their mightiness and their greatness and their affluence, God brings judgment to them. He brings it swiftly and He brings it very decisively. So whether the hour is meaning one hour or whether it means something prophetically and symbolically, People discuss all day long. If you ask me, I have no other reason to believe that it means anything other than one hour here. It doesn't tell me that. So I'm going to believe it just means one hour. One thing I do know for sure and what I believe God wants us to get from this is not how much seconds ticked off the clock as much as He wants us to realize His judgment is swift and it's decisive. I believe that's what He's getting at here. 
and every shipmaster and all the companies and ships, verse number 17, and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her coastlines. For in one hour she is made desolate. And here we find a third group of people. Not just the kings, not just the merchants, but even the laborers that produced the goods, that brought the goods to market. Even they are throwing dust on their heads. <clears throat> not because of the judgment of God. You know when Jonah, we just studied Jonah last week in Sunday school. When Jonah went to preach at Nineveh, and he said, repent, uh, or God's going to destroy you. You know what the Bible says happened? From the king all the way through the entire city. They rent their clothes, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they bowed in, in contrition and wept and asked for God's forgiveness and they repented of their sin. These people are doing the same things, but they're not repenting of their sin. They're saddened that their sin cannot be enjoyed any longer, and that's what they're grieving over. Before we're too judgmental, how often when we realize that we've got to get something out of our life that we've enjoyed, and we understand it to be a sin, how often do we grieve over the loss of the enjoyment of that sin? rather than grieving over the sin itself. Before we're too judgmental on these people, I've, I've taught for two Sundays now, we are sinners by nature. It's what we do best. It is our nature. It is the thing that will be with us until we get to heaven. We will fight it. We will struggle it. I hope and pray that we will feed the, the Holy Spirit and the things of the Lord in our lives so much that it doesn't have a whole lot of hold on us and a whole lot of power on us. But the truth is, we feed the flesh more than we like to admit. We do. In the world that we live, we feed our flesh more often than we should. And oftentimes we do it thinking nobody knows except me. We forget God sees it. God knows the heart. And when we look at a passage like this, He's judging this city, not only for their fornication spiritually, but He's, he's judging them for their fornication materially. Their love of material things. It, it was an idol to them. Notice His judgment in verse number... Uh, I'm on, well, let's, let's go to verse 20 for a minute. So here are these, these three groups of people, the kings, the merchants, and the laborers. They're all mourning. They're all saddened. They're all upset. But look at verse 20. God, says, God uses the angel to bring this message to the folks. He says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down. God's judgment on Babylon is not going to be gentle. The Bible tells us here it's going to be cast down with violence. It's catastrophic. 
And then notice he says this, "...and shall be found no more." That's really all God needed to say. But to emphasize it, he adds, "...at all." <laughs> That's like saying, "...God is light, and in Him is no darkness." That's all he needed to say. But he added, "...at all." For emphasis, for you and I to understand, there is no possibility of, of mercy being given here. It's going to happen. The judgment will fall. And if God's judgment on that type of an attitude is so dire and so immediate and so strong, it may help you and I to understand how He feels when we, when we hold those same ideas and those same thoughts in our hearts. Understand that while God is a long-suffering God and God is a forgiving God, and His mercy has been extended to us without measure, and His grace abounds more than our sin, it does not mean that God is not hurt by our sin. I don't know how we get this idea sometimes that because I'm eternally secure, God doesn't even see when I sin anymore. Oh, yes, He does. And we need to understand, Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? It ought to be the furthest thing from our mind. Not, not the thing we go around trying to find out how we can get by with it. But the thing that we abhor and hate just as much as He does. And when our old flesh nature does, in, in, in its moments of enticement and temptation to us, and we succumb to it, in those moments that we fall into those times of, of sin, and I hate to even use that phrase, because I heard one preacher say, we never fall into sin, we always choose it. But in those moments, it ought bring such brokenness and a contrite spirit in us, it ought not be something we look at and say, boy, I'm glad nobody saw that. I might even try that again sometime. It ought to be, Lord, I can't believe I just did that. Oh, it hurts my heart, Lord. I, I've disappointed you. I've done something that I know hurts your heart. Folks, there ought to be a brokenness there. Not of the fact that we don't get to enjoy the sin. But because we understand God's heart on the issue. Here God expresses His heart. He's going to cast them down with violence for such ideas. He's going to put this millstone, He's going to cast it down, and, and they're going to be found no more at all. <clears throat> Verse 23, "...and the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth." For by their sor thy sorceries were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. God says, I'm bringing vengeance on it, because they have been responsible for the martyrdom of my people. His judgment is swift, it is decisive. I want you to go back to verse number 4, understanding what the context of all of these things are in verse 3. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, and I want you to notice this, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Can we, can we just think about that for a moment? We, we just saw and understood the wickedness of Babylon. 
Last Wednesday night, we studied the, the religious wickedness and fornication that they did. Tonight, we see the wickedness of their idolatry and their, their heart for material things. And God tells His people, come out from her. There are two reasons that are given here why His people should come out of Babylon. The first one in verse number 4, if you'll look with me, that ye be not what? What's the next word? That, look at verse number 4. That ye be not what? Partakers of her sins. I, I do not like when a church or a pastor gets up and says, y'all don't need to change anything, just come as you are, leave as you were, and we'll all just be happy and sing Kumbaya together. And I'll, sing, I'll read you a few verses so you feel good, and I'll tell you a good speech and a motivational uh, talking point. Can I tell you this? The Bible tells us as His people over and over and over again, and we find it once again here at the very end of things. He wants His people to come out from those things that are wicked and that are ungodly. Because He knows that if we prolong in that position, in that situation, that sooner or later we will become partakers of that sin. I've heard people say, well, Pastor, I'm strong in my faith. I can go into that situation and it won't bother me because I'm strong in my faith. You may have part of that situation stated factfully, and that may be that you're strong in your faith. But if you're going to tell me that it's not going to have any influence on you, that is not in line with Scripture. It will. Not just some of the time, but every time. That's why it's so important that God's people come out from among them and be separate. And touch not, don't even touch it, touch not the unclean thing. I understand we have to be in the world. The Bible tells us that. We're in this world. God left us here. After we got saved, He didn't just take us straight to heaven. He left us in this world, but we are not to be of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There needs to be some preaching and there needs to be some churches that come back to this thing of God's people coming out so we are not partakers of their sin. I was talking with someone this week. And in fact, I was talking to Miss Carmen about it Sunday, but I was talking to another person a little earlier than that, a few days earlier than that, about how many uh, uh, folks that had come from their public school into the Christian school? And I, I've asked a few people this question. I said, do you think that COVID has had some result in that? And their answer both times has been, uh, yeah, I think there is. Because for the first time, parents began to understand what was being taught to their kids. And when they understood what was being taught to their kids, and they started seeing things that they weren't aware of before, they said, you know what? I don't want my kid there. I'm going to take them out of that situation. Why is it that they have the sense enough to do that, and yet so often in our lives we don't have the sense enough to come out from the things that are wicked and ungodly and worldly? Well, Pastor, I'm strong in my faith. I can go there and handle it, and it won't bother me. You may be strong in your faith, but you can't handle it, and it will bother you. 
Either that or God's lying to us. And you can take that discussion up with Him. I'm not going to ask Him of that. Look what He says here in verse number 4. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins. If they refused the first bidding, then He tells them His second piece of information here. And that ye receive not of her plagues. In other words, you have a choice. I'm telling you to come out. And trust me, you're going to want to do that. That's what God is saying. There's a reason I want you to come out so that you're not partakers of her sins. And then he adds this phrase as if he's saying it as a list of things and that you're not partakers of her plagues. But what he is saying is he's offering a warning here. Because if you don't choose to do the first command that he gives to come out from them, you'll be destined to be the recipient of the second. God is a just God. I'll stand here tonight and tell you that as a preacher, I love to preach of God's love. I get a great joy out of speaking of His mercy and His grace and His long-suffering, and God is all of those things without limit. But He is also just. Somehow, in the recent years of Christianity, we have gotten the mindset or the idea, and it is a worldly mindset, that I can live however I want to because I'm saved. And God, He'll forgive me. All i got to do is come to Him, and He'll forgive me, and He'll restore that relationship again. And then I can go out and sin some more, and I can come to Him, and He'll forgive me again. And He will. But can I tell you this? It won't be without its consequences. And it will not be without the judgment of God upon us. I'm thankful I'm not going to be judged for my sin with regards to where I'm going to spend eternity. But the Bible tells me that one day I will stand and give an account for everything that I have done in this body since the time that I've been saved. There are times that God chastens us because we continue to live in Babylon. We don't come out. Folks, I know we have to be in the world, but we do not and we must not be of the world. It should not be the thing that has a hold of our hearts. I, I was talking to Brother Kevin. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. If he does, I'll, I'll have to ask your forgiveness later. You can just be mad at me, I guess. About a year or a year and a half ago, I guess, we were talking about something, and he said, you know, Brother Greg, he said, here recently, the things of this world just have... They've just loosened their grip on me. They, there's not a hold on me like there used to be. And I, I've I've heard numbers of people in the last year, year and a half, two years, Christian folks that have said, I can't explain it. There just seems to be a loosening of this world. I, I It doesn't have the enamor to me that it used to have. It doesn't have that hold on me that it used to have. Folks, can I tell you, that's that's where our hearts need to be. 
when we get to the place where we hold on to this world, we love it. And when we don't get the things of this world, we sorrow, but not because we've sinned. We sorrow because we can't enjoy that sin anymore. And that's exactly what these people did. And God says, I'm going to destroy you without, without mercy. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be decisive. There's going to be a violence to it. And it will be utter destruction. I don't want to, I don't want to have to go through the chastening of God. I would far rather learn my lesson by reading this book and finding out I need to come out from those things so that I do not become a partaker of that sin and so that I do not suffer the plagues. I don't want God's chastening. I've been through it before. It is not pleasant. Some of you have been through it before. You can attest to this. It is not pleasant. It's needful but it's never pleasant. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. And Lord, as we've learned things that are going to happen, things that are yet to come, Father, there are so many lessons that we have to learn from it. So many things that we see Your heart on the matter. We see the heart of those who've rejected You and see what their attitudes and their mindsets are. And Lord, in a lot of cases,